Thanks, Coach Logan, you absolute beauty. You absolute hunk. Thank you so much for making time. I, I understand when you're as important as someone like you, you've got, oh, serious, t- you got serious time demand, so I appreciate you making the time. How are you? Uh, doing well, man. And, and as always, I appreciate you wanting to have me on. So, uh, yeah, thank you. Yeah, part two. It's only been like, what, five years in the making or something like that? Oh, only five years for this one, yeah. <laughs> I know. Listen, no, I appreciate it. Listen, sure. I do be busy and then you do be busy and it's, you know, it's like anything. But listen, we're here now and that's all that matters. So, uh, Dennis, just for the listeners who haven't heard the previous interview we've done, and in fairness, that was so long ago when I didn't have a fucking clue what I was doing in terms of like how to uh, like produce a podcast so the audio wasn't great. So at least we're a little bit better now. But give us the background. Where have you come from? Uh, you know, and give us a good background, like where are you from, where you grew up, you know, high school, college, sports played, family, and then get into your, your professional career, you know, you, where you've come from and the roles you've had and the floor is yours, as they say, my man, so take your time. Oh, geez, yeah, you know, it's funny, I do remember doing that last podcast, Robbie, and it was funny, that, that day in Texas, I had a cold, and so, like, the audio was crazy, and I had a cold, and I was like, this gonna sound like absolute shit the time it's all done but um so hopefully this one sounds a bit better uh yeah uh dennis logan uh originally from new york uh born and raised um uh born jamaican parents so you know the area of new york that i was from um was very uh, multicultural and so uh from the last podcast it was interesting um i think i was telling you that you know my my parents were uh very traditional uh, for lack of a better way or putting it were you know essentially immigrant parents so uh sports were things that they saw as, as recreation for kids, especially for boys. So, um, you know, you, you went out and you played sports and you went outside and you played as much as you could. But the idea of, of having a profession in sports wasn't really something that we, we ever thought about seriously. It definitely wasn't something that was encouraged from our parents, right? It was kind of more of, you know, follow the traditional path if possible, doctor, lawyer. Um, my mother was, um, went to, to school to be a teacher. So um, I grew up playing uh, any and all sports possible, at least in the States, uh, definitely sank my teeth into football. And so football became, you know, sport that I, that I gravitated towards the most. Um, not big. I'm not a big guy. Um, I'm about five, seven right now. I'm clicking it at 170 pounds, which is, which is the lightest I've been in about 15 years. So, um, if you think about me being 185, but five, seven, uh, about 20 years ago when I was just leaving high school, there was no way. I was going to be in the NFL, and I kind of knew that early on. So um, I knew I wasn't going to play professional, um, but I also knew that I wanted to still be in in sports. So it really – so how do I stay uh, in the in in the um, sporting environment? And um, my brother – uh, I have one brother who is who's bigger than I am. Definitely possessed the size to to be a football player, but went the bodybuilding route. Uh, uh, kind of took me under his wing, but I also realized, well, shit, I'm still five seven hundred eighty five pounds. Bodybuilding isn't going to be the way to go. Um, uh, I definitely was more interested in the movement side, so uh, I started looking into, you know, who was preparing athletes in a way that was different from just going to the gym and get as big as you possibly could, which was in my limited experience and knowledge, quite honestly, but that is kind of what I, I saw it to be, right? Like I saw that, you know, if, if you were going to be a professional athlete, it meant you went to the gym and you lifted as heavy as possible and you got as big as possible. And, and that kind of laid the foundation, but um, that just didn't really click with me. So I started to kind of look around and see if there's anybody that was doing it differently. 
and uh, I, um, I, I came across this place called Athletes Performance. Um, and I'd seen this Sports Illustrated issue. I imagine it's Sports Illustrated, man, with Mark Stegen on the front. And, and, you know, they were doing a piece on Nomar Garcia Parra, who was the best baseball player at the time. And uh, I was like, that's it. You know what I mean? Like that, that is what I, I'm thinking about. Like that is what I feel is, is what this is. You know, when we talk about preparing athletes, it's not just about how big you're going to make them, which is important and how strong you're going to make them, but how well they move, right? It's a movement sport. Um, they're all movement sports, right? So it then quickly for me became, how do I get myself there? And so it became a, a bit of a five year, um, trek to try and get to athletes performance because I felt like that's where where I was going to to make my next big step so I I went to school um to university originally to uh get my degree in the liberal arts I did a a minor in philosophy and then uh quickly realized you know what if that's where I want to go how do I get there and I looked up the bios of, of all of the coaches that were at the time working for athletes performance which at the time there were like eight coaches on staff and I said, all right, well, then I'm just going to follow what they did. And I went back to school for the next five years and uh, applied for an internship, uh, got turned down the first time mm-hmm. and uh, said, well, shit, that, that doesn't really mean anything other than I've got to keep working at this and figuring out what it is I need to do. Uh, and applied the following year and, and uh, ended up getting it the second year that I applied and moved out to Phoenix. And, and at least that's the the there's more to the story but that's kind of like the first major chapter was all right uh, I'm done with high school not going to be a professional athlete uh where is it and and Phoenix became Mecca for me and so that's that's how I got there just for you go on there as well uh so how long college-wise were you so like you did your you did a degree in philosophy and then did you go on and do another degree in exercise science yeah that's exactly what I ended up doing so I, I completed my undergraduate degree um, uh, when I was 21 and I, I got a job right away. And like I said, like four or five months after being in that job, like this is not for me. Like I have to start figuring out what this next path is going to be because I knew right away. But of course, you know, when you're done with your four years uh, of university, right? So it was like, all right, I'm 21. And I finally got through fucking being in school for the last 14 years of my life ever since I was seven. And now I realize that, all right, you know, I'm not going to be a philosopher. I'm in, I mean, so uh, I want to stay in sports. So it was like, okay, back into school. So yeah, I ended up, I ended up going back to school and get my, my exercise, my master's in exercise science and, and fitness management. Yep. Yeah. Where did you go to two different colleges, Dennis? So I did my undergraduate degree. Yeah. And then I ended up going to the United States Sports Academy to, to, to start my master's degree while also concurrently going to a local community college in Fairhope, Alabama. So the University of Fairhope to also do the rest of my Bachelor of Science degree. So it was like uh, because I had done my undergraduate in my BA, all I was really lacking to get my Bachelor of Science were the science courses themselves. Yeah. So I had to go back to school for four years. I just had to complete what I would have needed to complete it to get my bachelor of science because, you know, the United States system is based on half of your degree being electives and then you specialize for another two years and that. So I went back to the University of Fairhope, got my, my courses necessary to get my bachelor of science and the sciences that I could then roll into you doing my, my 
my master's degree. And because at the United States Sports Academy, it was the same way. Like you have to take like these basic electives first and then specialize. They allowed me to stay enrolled in the program as long as I was completing my science electives at the University of Fairhope. So they were definitely accommodating in that way. So I was able to, I was able to complete both of those to complete the degree and, and, and transition. Did you have to move to Alabama? Oh, oh yeah. Yeah. No, that's what I did. Let's do that. Yeah. Full time on site. Yep. Wow. That's fucking mad. You're, you're, you're kind of going in and out. So you might have to click, just click your video off there. Cause that might be eating a bit of bandwidth. Gotcha. No worries. There we see. We'll see if that makes any difference. Um, so that brings us up to. So now you're at Exo. So what? You're 21. Then you're like, fuck this. Want to go back and, and do you know sports science? Was it a second degree or a master's in sports science you did? I did a master's in sports science. Get you. And you had to. Do, and you had to do those those additional um, to be able to qualify for the science track. Exactly get you. Get you. Get you. Get you. So. What age are you now, Dennis, at this stage? So when you first went down to Phoenix, Arizona, how old are you there? And what, what, what timeline are we talking here? Yeah, so I'm 39 now. Yeah. When I, when I got the internship at Athletes Performance, I was 26. 26, all right. Okay, so you're in Phoenix, so take us from there. You're yeah, so, yeah so, so got the internship at, at Athletes Performance in the September of 2017. Um, uh, the internships that they, they, I believe they still run them. You know, I know that there's been a bit of a challenge with the internship programs of, as of recent, but when I was there, they were about four months, they ran four months long. So I was uh, an intern there from September to December. I was hired on in the last week of my internship. So if you can imagine like the week before Christmas, um, you know, and, and again, I'm thinking, all right, well, fuck, what am I going to do next? Because this internship is up and. I I'd made it to the place that I had essentially started this journey at 21 to get to, right? Because again, I'm, I'm 21 years old saying, this is where I want to go. And I get there as an intern and, and uh, it wasn't until the last week. And there are no promises, of course, uh, because it's not as if they just hire every intern that goes through there. You know what I mean? It's not like that. So um, I, I, you know, it, turns out they approached me the final week of the internship and said, you know, we, we are thinking of hiring you, but we're thinking of hiring you for these particular areas. Like this is where we're planning on growing. Right. So at the time athletes performance was a location. It was, it was, there were only two locations at the time when I was an intern and it was, when I say solely dedicated to training professional athletes, that was the bulk of what their business was, was, was around. It was professional athletes, football players, baseball players coming in. They had a high school uh, college prep program. So they were training high school athletes, but they were not in education. They were not working in the military. They were not working in the private sector. So they weren't working in, um, in the wellness space. You know, you're talking about a company that was definitely, um, in the infancy of, of transitioning into these other areas, right? And so at the time, much like who I was, the people that were going there, the people that were working there uh, wanted to work with professional athletes, right? Yeah, so yeah. you were going to work at Athletes Performance because you wanted to work with professional football players, baseball players, soccer players, baseball players. It wasn't because you wanted to work with the CEO, executive of a company that was trying to introduce a wellness program to his company. It wasn't because you were trying to break into the education space. It wasn't, you know, and so 
they were looking at this point in time for talent, but they also realized, you know what, we're recruiting talent, but we don't know what the talent, what they're forecasting in their future and what they want. So they had identified me as somebody that they wanted to bring on, but then they had to ask, you know, we want to bring you on, but are you interested in education? Are you interested in, in the military space? Are you interested in, in corporate wellness or, or do you just want to coach athletes? Because if that's the case, man, like we don't really have a lot, you know, that's not where the air of growth for us is, you know? And, and luckily for me, I, I was all over that. You know what I mean? Like, again, I, I wasn't necessarily interested in getting into the business just to train professional athletes. I was interested in getting into the business to help people achieve their goals through movement. You know what I mean? And so, um, it, it was like, it was like, I, I really, it was the perfect moment in time. Like when you talk about being at the right place at the right time with the right company, it like, it couldn't have been any better. Um, and, and I'm eternally grateful for, for the opportunities that they gave me. But at the same time, it was like, man, like, you know, uh, it was a testament to me. Oh, wise one. It was a testament to me. Like, um, just, you don't ever know where the road is going to take you, but, but you know, the more that you kind of figure out what you want the path to be, um, you just kind of, you just walk that path and then, you know, it will lead you to where you, you, you know, eventually want to end up, you know? So, uh, just to go back there, you, you, I, I know you didn't mean this, but you said that was 27, September, 2017. I think you meant September 20, oh, 2007. Oh, yeah. 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 I was thinking, I was like, I was like, I don't think that was uh, two years ago. Two years ago. Yeah. Oh, so yeah. Two, 2007. Okay. So, so you, you get taken on and I, I, I keep saying exos cause that's, that's who they are now. And I always, I kind of always joke with first cause I got to know Mark when I was with, with at Altus and. I kind of always joke with him, but I always joke with anyone who's associated now with Exos. Like, how long are people going to say Exos formally, at least performance? Like, they keep saying that. Yeah. <laughs> formally. Yeah. It's like, you know, when, when, when does the time lapse where they drop off that last bit? Exos formally, at least performance. <laughs> yeah. um, but okay, so t- tell, us, tell us about your, so you get taken on at least performance. So tell us, um, how was your time there and fill us in on how that went? I'm um, amazing, man. You know, it's, been, it's interesting. I have, uh, I have a, a friend of mine that, is still at Exodus currently. And she, you know, she reached out to me and she was like, you know, how's the transition been? And, and, you know, asking a lot of questions that, you know, the people are asking me because I, I was there for 10 years. And like I said, I was there at the beginning of what I would consider to be the transition, you know what I mean? So, um, uh, and what I was explaining to her was I was incredibly fortunate because I was there when the company was growing. And mm. so, um, and I was, like I said, I was part of that group that was part of that transition that, so whenever a new project or whenever a new endeavor was coming on, I was part of one of three or four people that the company would look to, to help spearhead the transition. Yeah. So it seemed like for the first six years of my career there, every year, there was a new project that I got to be a part of that would stretch kind of my abilities to communicate. It would stretch my understanding of the methodology, but also give me an opportunity to see, man, is this a space that I, that I want to be in or, or, you know, is it a space that I I enjoy, but now I can actually cross this off the list and say, you know what, maybe this isn't where I want to go. For example, like my very first year. So I'm hired on in December. Um, For those, for those of you that don't know, uh, the NFL combine preparation process is a huge thing for us. 
mm. at these performance. So the NFL Combine is where 250 of the best collegiate athletes um, go to Indianapolis for four days, and they're involved in a battery of tests where NFL executives, coaches, scouts will also go there, and it helps them select who they're going to pick and bring on to their teams in the draft, right? So preparation for the Combine is big business in the United States, and it was a big part of what, what – um, athletes performance and exos has done forever and so i get hired on in december and so i'm plugged right into that in january right so it's kind of like all right you're hired on you're off for two weeks uh luke richardson who was who was my mentor and who was the lead of, of the combine preparation program at the time is like all right you're with me and so from january until march it's it's six days a week of some of the most intense training that i i still believe in the weight room and in terms of performance i've seen to date and so it's like it is like a, a PhD levels class in, in strength and conditioning and, and performance that I, I'm plugged into in supporting him for the first three months. Get a breather for two weeks in April. And one of the other coaches, uh, Joe Gomes, who, who at the time was working very heavily in the military space, mm. again, says, hey, man, you know, I, I'm going to be meeting with this group in Florida. Uh, would you like to come along? and join me. And I'm like, of, of course, you know, I'm going to soak up anything and everything. Anybody asked me to go, I, I'm there. And so we ended up going to uh, Florida and working with this military group for a week. And uh, unbeknownst to me, what it was, was a bit of a trial to see if this military group wanted us to come in and work with them. And then also see if I would be somebody that they would be, um, welcoming of to come and lead the program. I didn't know it at the time, but that's kind of what was working in the background. So uh, very quickly, I ended up going off to Virginia Beach and working with a military group for 10 weeks. And so um, that first year was kind of like this whirlwind of being thrown into these uh, very specific but very intense projects. And that came to kind of define what my role was for lack of a better word at athletes performance in exos it was kind of like uh you'll lead the combine program at the beginning of the year from january to to march and then after that whenever these special projects come up so whether it was leading education or or going over to china or or working with the argentinian rugby team or whatever it was i i kind of played a, a, a part in in leading those projects and that's really what my career was there for for the next the next six years or so um met my wife had my son within those six years and then you know family starts to change your outlook and and what you think the next step is and you know you know it was like yeah when i'm young and single I'll pick up and I'll, I'll, I'll go to Virginia beach for 10 weeks and yeah. I'll go down to Argentina for three weeks and I'll go to China for a month. But all of a sudden when you have, you know, a wife and a kid, it's kind of like, well, how, what is the next evolution? And so um, we ended up moving to Texas, staying within the company, but then now taking on a bit of a, more of a managerial role. So my next two years uh, at Exos were, were as a manager over at the Texas facility in Dallas, where I tried to use the six years of experience that I'd gained and now wanted to play a role where I started to develop the other coaches, the younger coaches that a lot of that stuff was being handed off to anyway. And, you know, making sure that there was um, culture and legacy being passed on, especially as we grew, you know what I mean? As a company, 
the culture can be very, very strong when you're one company in one location. But in a six year period, you've got five locations now in the US and another 10 worldwide. You know, the battle to maintain that culture, the battle to educate, the battle to maintain the methodology um, becomes a bit more difficult. Mm. So, so, you know, playing a role in, in that part um, was something that was very, very interesting to me and, and also fit the, the family lifestyle that I felt I wanted to be able to provide. So that was um, eight to eight and a half years at Exos. And out, out, of, out of all those years at Exos, or as I said, formerly Alice Performance, um, what, is there any one particular population or like, was there, you know, did you have a favorite thing that you'd love to do at Exos or did you like the variety of, you know, I had the combine, then I had the military. Now and again, I went to China, you know, did you like the variety or was there a particular role within Exos that, or again, at least performance, whatever you want to call it now, um, that you, that you embraced the most while you were there? Yeah. You know, it's interesting, man. Um, it's a great question. I love the variety, but what I also came to understand is that it, it, I love the variety, but the variety had to stay in the combat area. I think that's what I learned about myself, right? So if it is football, if it is mixed martial arts, if it is the military, if it's rugby, um, it all feels like home to me because I, f- I feel like the the mental requirements to be in that kind of a space, yeah. it's all very, very similar, right? Yeah, and that's kind yeah. of why they all feed off of each other. What I did realize is that... <clears throat> some of the other sports that are are highly technical and that I have a huge amount of respect for, but don't involve just kind of that, that flair and that feeling and that appetite for contact didn't appeal to me as much. Right. So um, baseball players, I have a huge amount of respect because in order to play baseball, it is incredibly difficult, right? Like it, what they're capable of doing in that sport is something that is unbelievable. But the lack of contact, the lack of like physical contact for me, as silly as it may sound, is just, it's not appealing to me mm. because I feel like there's a different, there's a different level of um, consequence that, that I, I enjoy, right? Like the consequence of being wrong, the consequence of making the mistake is, is something that for me, um, I just really enjoyed. So uh, I don't mind where or what it is, but it ha- that has to be an element for me that I've learned has to exist, has to pervade. Um, I, I have to work with an athlete where they realize that if they get this wrong, um, there's a there's a different level of consequence that other athletes don't experience necessarily experience and it's not that you can get injured in another sport but but i i think you know that what i'm trying to say is that i feel like there's a different level of focus that i can connect with or that i can that i can understand that that makes it feel more like home and for that reason quite honestly um working in the military space was a space that had the greatest impact on me Mm. um that i thoroughly enjoyed but at the same time along that same line the level of consequence that they experienced that I could never get in touch with is what made me realize that that was one of the areas that I could not see myself being in full time. Yeah. I, I loved it, but 
um, it's difficult when, when those guys don't come back. And that was something that I realized I couldn't, that was a level of consequence that I couldn't make a full-time role for me. So I needed, the, I needed the middle ground, so to speak. Do you think that the reason why you're sort of biased in this way is, is from your football background, you know, that you, that your, your exposure was to a sort of a combat sport in a way? Yeah, absolutely, man. And, and that's just it. Right. And it's interesting. Like I said, I've got an older brother that's, that was also bigger than I was. Yeah. And so um, in, in order for me and, and he, he was very developmental for me, right? Like he wasn't like um, a bullish older brother. He was somebody that knew he was bigger, but he also was, I mean, growing up in New York, realized that I needed to be tough. So mm. there was a combination of, of um, you've got to be skillful, but also you've got to be strong and you've got to kind of welcome the combat, right? Like yeah, he was definitely yeah. somebody. So yeah, I think he hit the nail on the head, man. Like it's, it's, and it's also like, you know, it's just something I enjoy, man. And where that comes from, I can say, yeah, it comes from football. Is I don't know, man. It's just something that I, I enjoy. You know what I mean? So yeah, it sounds um, like, sounds like it's, it's even, it, it, not even that, that mentality that, that you seem to connect with. It wasn't even from football. It was even just from your own environment growing up as a kid in New York. Yeah. Yeah, right. I mean, it, it, you know, I guess we could psychoanalyze it could be a number of different things, but I, I do think that they're all kind of wrapped into it. You know what yeah. I mean? Like uh, being tough and being being able to to handle yourself is definitely, you know, um, an ethos that that was definitely apparent for for males where I where I come from. So yeah, there is all that. I remember when I was interning at Boyle's, and Mike brought me to BU for the first time. And, you know, the fact now that you're in Ireland, you know, you'll, you can resonate with this. So you're well-versed in the, in the Irish games as well. You know, Hurling and Gaelic football, you're, you're well aware of what they are. And I grew, mm-hmm. up, play, I grew up playing Hurling. And, you know, Hurling has such a huge tradition as a warrior sport in Ireland. Like, and I remember when I was at BU that first time and around these hockey players. And, you know, obviously uh, BU is one of the top universities in America in terms of hockey. So these are pretty, these are pretty young elite hockey players. And the sense of just like warriors I could get off them, I just so resonate with them. Even when I watched them on the ice and then when they're in the weight room and I was just like, these lads are just like hurlers. Like yes. they're, 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 they're like so beat up, you know, they sore shoulders and sore backs, but they're just like animals. Like they'll just go through yeah. all like, and it's the same with hurlers, like in terms of like, you know, like, cause again, I grew up playing hurling and like lads be there, like in their, their shoulders are in bits and their fingers are broken. It's like, but it's championship hurling and it's just like, lads will just go through a wall for their for their team like you know and it could just resonate with that warrior spirit that the hockey players had i just found it was very again kind of exactly what you said like in terms of you know you, you like the military and the mna and the football and even though they're different sports there's this common sort of like comradeship that you can sense between all of these diverse domains and it was the same with ice hockey it's like right you are a completely different sport to hurling you know i mean you're on ice as well okay there's an implement and in some ways there's, there's similarities but just in terms of like that warrior spirit, it just, I could, I could resonate with them straight away. So I, I completely understand where you're coming from as well. Yeah. You know, it, it's interesting, man. Um, I, I try to be careful because there's, there's a definite respect that I have for, like I said, like super technical sports, but there's just something about, you know, uh, there, the word that comes to mind for me and, and also like you said with hurling is, is honor, right? Like there's just this, yeah. there is, there's just, this battle mindset and just this uh, we you will not break us mindset that that 
is is hard to replicate in in other sports where that's not required and you know so so the that's just something that yeah i feel like i need it um i need it so so dennis uh you took on this manager managerial role then in the texas facility what was that transition like and then also get into how life changed when you you know got married and had your son because i mean family is a massive thing and so to, to you know to take us on the the rest of the journey starting from here now so now you take on this managerial role and this is just i could be completely wrong now and correct me if i'm wrong but it sounds like you didn't fully like that wasn't you it, it, sounds, it sounds to me like you you really much prefer to be in the trenches rather than kind of you know back being the general you like to be down there you know in ground floor but was the idea with this managerial role again so you'd have more of a home base with the family and just talk us through that transition yeah you know um what's interesting about that robbie is one thing that i do really really enjoy and again it's part of of what we do as coaches is i do enjoy coaching and i do enjoy developing right okay so, um and and so for me if I'm going to be a manager, what it meant to me was I was going to be in the trenches, but I was going to be in the trenches working with the coaches, not be in the trenches working with the players, right? So, so uh, that was a part of it that I welcomed, right? And what's interesting and what's great about being a manager at Exos, which again I'm learning, you know, being being ahead and being a manager at other places, is that at Exos they promote their coaches to be managers for the reason that they they need to take their coaches off of the floor and in the trenches so that not so that they can step back and be in an office and and put schedules together but so that they have an opportunity to have their eye on what the other coaches and yeah. the younger coaches are doing so that you can groom them and kind of continue to, to, to spread this message so so the managers at exos are, are very much still quote unquote in the trenches so again for me man like like I said, it was it was the correct and it was a good transition for me mm-hmm. um, because it gave me the opportunity to kind of refine that skill set. It was still very very hard, man. It was still very hard for me to 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 step back and say, all right, this is what our framework is. This is what our methodology is. There's freedom within that. Now go express yourself and then see them do something and be like, ah, oh, man, I wouldn't do it that way. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean, and it's like you're not wrong, but gosh, I would have I would have done it this way. You know what I mean? And so. So like, um, I thought that that was an important part of me that needed to grow as well. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. And what it what it led me to do was was look at it more more broadly, and really question myself. Like, I would have done it this way, but then all right, let me go back to the first principles of this and see, am I would I have done that just because I got into the habit, or is this really? principle based and is this what I need to teach them right and mm. so it would be interesting like there would be you know coaches and, and interns that would say you know was that wrong and I'd be like God, shit you know what you know you were not wrong you know like you know principally you were correct and that's important for me and and so go back and you know go back into the lab and, and think about it and, you know so it was it was actually really really it, it was a time where I, I could say it was another really strong growth point for me yeah sounds like you know a- so, um, so it was incredibly valuable again, like, you know, the journey, you know, just walk the journey, man. And, you know, sometimes it may, you may think, ah, gosh, that isn't me. But then all of a sudden you, you turn around and you're like, shit, I know this better than I ever did before. Cause I had time to really deconstruct it and think about it as yeah. opposed to just being in my mode and, and coaching athletes and allowing the bias of the results to make it feel like I understood it 
better than I actually did. You know mm. what I mean? So it became a really powerful time for me. Yeah, it um, sounds sounds like you grew an awful lot. Because sorry to cut across, but it's similar yeah. similar to myself. Like you know, I've gone back now and I'm in the final year of a masters. And one one thing I've really taken away from the masters is you know it's just to be is to like to really critically think and ask better questions, particularly of yourself. You know, you you kind of just gave a great example there of you know you'd look at someone do something and and they would do it in a way different to you and you know you would step back and say but from a principle standpoint they are correct and then you'd you'd start to reflect well why do i do it my way and then it's like is it just because i'm just in such a habit of doing it that way and now i i've kind of i don't question anymore and then it's funny because what the masters has taught me like is to really start to question why exactly do i do that and like what actual evidence is there to back that up you know like simple things like you know like just like 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 you know in the grand scheme of life in the universe wants to mean a life like these things can seem like small things but then at the same time it's kind of like how you do anything is how you do everything and it's just like even you start thinking about why do we train the core that way you know like what like really start questioning these things like why and then you can say well there's and it's funny because then when you peel back nearly everything dennis you kind of get to like we really don't know you know what i mean if you peel everything right back to its absolute like fundamental treads, like right down to foundations, like we don't know. And actually that is the case because if you went right back even to like quantum physics, they're like, we don't know. Like where's the electron when it goes around the nucleus? We don't know. It's, it's all probably, it's all probability. So it, I, I exactly get where you're, where you're going in terms of like, I see my career and my growth as a human is the same way in that we go through this sort of like, we learn like this sort of knowledge or we get this toolbox and it's a very solid toolbox and it does great things for a certain period of time. And we do great things with it. And then we need to like, kind of like step back out of it and like, Oh, there's these other tools over here that I haven't seen. And it's like, and it just gives you this whole other frame of reference to start like viewing things and question things. And I, I just, I resonate with what you're saying. Yeah. There's, there's a danger in, especially, especially in our environment where, um where we get real machiavellian and it's like well the ends justify the means right like if they did well you know then what we did was right even if we weren't entirely sure Mm. that what we did was correct you know what i mean like right and correct are are in my mind at least are, are slightly different and so um yeah even now you know this is kind of this experience here mirrors that experience again because I now get to ask those questions because I'm in a sport that I haven't spent my entire life in. Right. And so what's interesting is, is I, I've posed the question is like, what are the first principles of rugby? Right. Like if you were to say, what are the first principles of playing this game? Would we all have the same answers and would the players all have the same answers? And it's funny. You ask that question. Everybody looks at themselves in, in the fucking room. They're kind of like, well, we know how to play this game, but we don't know how to answer that question. It's like, well, should we, kind of know an answer to that question because does that help us justify the decisions that we make and you know and and then the same is asked of us like all right well then what about s and c and it's like yeah can we say that the first principles of strength and conditioning are are evident in everything that we do at least at the foundation you know what i mean and then and then progress from there you know you, you brought up altus and i hope i don't i hope i don't misquote him um but Stu mcmillan has a great way of kind of saying what his program design is and may have changed since then. Um, you know, he said 85% of what I, what, what goes into my program is, is stuff I know will work. Yeah. 85% of it. Right. So when I think of that, it's like, all right, so then 85% of it, if you look at it, we can say, 
from a principle standpoint is 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 sound from an SNC point of view. Ten percent mm-hmm. of stuff that I think will will work, and then five percent of it is stuff that I have no idea will work. But that's how you innovate. That's how you discover. That's how you actually start to get a competitive edge, right? So eighty-five percent is like this is rock solid. Ten percent is you know I've had some success, but I'm not entirely sure. Five percent is how we are going to now get to the next level because we don't know, but you got to have some room for that as well, right? There's got to be some blue sky thinking as Google will, will, will put it, right? You know, because what we're looking for is the 1% that's going to take us to 100, right? No, nobody that sits at 99% wins championships. Nobody that sits at 99% wins gold medals, right? So where are we going to get that 1%? It's in that 5% of our programming that we're just like, well, fuck it, man. Let's, let's give this a shot. But at the very least, the 85% foundation should save us from disaster, right? It will give us kind of like the buffer to, to, to have that discovery take place. And so that, that now is kind of like the challenge that I pose not only to the strength and conditioning staff, but to, to our team, to, the, to our rugby team as a whole. Like if we want to win a championship, like we've got to know what the 85% is because what happens in our industry is that somebody sees something that's new Mm-hmm. somebody's something that they think is going to be the next big thing. And that becomes the 85% of their program and not the 5%. Yeah. And that's what sets you back five or 10 years. And you wonder why. And it's like, no, that that's great. That's the blue sky thinking, but we've got to keep this 85% that, that really works. And if we don't know what that 85% is, uh, it's really, really hard to win that way. So, yeah. And you get into that fucking, you know, these discussions where it's these arguments around, um, around fucking methods you know what i mean and you're like oh hold on hold on hold on before we start talking about methods and means like oh my god means and if we just want to replace what means with exercises like people start arguing with these exercises like whoa like let's just as as like as you've as you've already alluded to let's just make sure that principles are being respected here once we know once we know the principles once principles are being respected then we can have, you know, then like we can get into a, a better conversation about methods and means because we're going to have far more context, a context around this conversation. But yeah, it's uh, this Dr. Liam Hennessy from Satanta College. He is a great saying, and I hope I'm saying it right now. He he says, uh, "What is it? Methods are many, but principles are few. Methods yeah. methods may change, but principles never do, or principles rarely do. You could say never, rarely there, but yeah, I always love that saying from from Liam. So, methods are many, principles are few. Methods may change, but principles never do. And I think that really sort of sums up what we're trying to get there. Is that yeah, if you if you're if if you're if eighty five percent of your system is all this superficial, I don't know if it works stuff. When really it should be the other way around. It should be eighty-five percent is you know solid in terms of its you know supporting evidence. Ten percent is like well we think, and then five percent is like this is like where no man's gone before. But we need to step into that five percent because it's what pushes the the whole profession forward. Yeah, exactly right. You know, so so then it's to, 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 sorry. The second part of that question we went off a little bit was to, just before we go on. So I know after Exos, then you went to the NFL for. I definitely wanted to touch on that if if you can, and then your transition then to you know European rugby and moving from America to Ireland. That's what I really want you to touch on before we wrap up. But I'm always very very interested. It's funny because I'm a bachelor in my little bachelor pad here, but. I guess because I I read, I read so much on human behavior 
and relationships and communications and you know i've been a child <laughs> so i've been yeah. a, i've been on one side of the parent uh, child dyad and i've also grown in a household where i've seen a relationship between a man and a woman i was lucky to have two very loving parents so i'm always interested to always get coaches to speak about their partners their relationships their families because it's the unspoken thing and in fairness you know, it's the likes of Brett Bartholomew and it's not even like, it's not even Brett, there are obviously other people there, but he's been pushing them forward now that, you know, we need to start speaking about like our coaches as humans. Like they've got, yeah. li- they've got lives outside of the facility and like, I'll let you take the floor here now in a second, but I just want to put, put a bit more context is because I have many friends in professional sport. You know, you're, you're a colleague of mine, a peer of mine, a friend of mine is in professional sport, but and we and you've got plenty of friends in professional sport and the team that i've seen and i know i'm generalizing here, but the team that i see is this they get into pro sport in their in the back of their head like all i want to do is just work with lee ali's pro sport if i get that boom i'm made i love it and they get into the job and they're like i can't believe it i've, I've made it you know i'm assistant strength coach or i'm, I'm a head strength condition coach at this huge organization whether it's a college or a pro sport or whatever and they're there for the first year and they're like, oh shit, there's this whole politics involved that really wasn't prepared for this and they didn't quite have the influence that they thought they were going to have. And they're like, right, year two, I, I've learned a little bit now about the politics and the communicate. But long story short, they're, they get there for maybe two, three, four, five years, depends, different with different coaches. But eventually, one day, Dennis, they're there, they're sitting down, they're having a shit in the toilet, they're looking at the toilet door and then this voice in their head goes, I kind of don't want to do this anymore. And then, <laughs> and, then, and then this other voice in the head goes you ungrateful son of a bitch you said all you ever wanted was to be a head strength and conditioning coach or an assistant strength and conditioning coach with this big sport organization work with elite athletes you know make good money and whatnot and now you're telling me you don't want to be here anymore what's going on and it's because what happens is they get into these organizations and it becomes the game of one-upsmanship or the big dick measuring competition it's like oh lads i got into the facility at 4 a.m and i didn't leave till 8 p.m yesterday it's like, what time did you get in at? Oh, you were here at seven and left at five. Oh, yeah, yeah. And they don't say this. This is what goes on in their head and their subconscious. They're like, I'm better because I'm here like four or five hours longer. I'm more of a warrior than you. And it just becomes this big game of one of It's like Joe Gibbs, who used to be the head coach of the of fucking Washington Redskins. He used to sleep in the facility from Monday to Friday. Like ridiculous things. Not going home to see his family and all that. And then like what happens is then these guys who do have families they don't go home because it's an avoidance behavior they just stay in the facility to stay in the facility because if they go home their partner's like where were you you said you're going to be home early today and you're going to go take the kids out or pick them up from school so now it's an avoidance behavior and again now it's also they stay in the facility because they're nearly guilted into it because they're like oh if i go home the lads will think i'm soft I'm, i'm not grinding out like the rest of the lads here and then what happens is mentally emotionally and physically they start letting themselves go. They don't get their own training in. They're inside all the time, so they never see daylight. They're dehydrated. Their nutrition's all over the place, blood sugar. So now these acute factors make these guys not nice people to be around. So it's, mm-hmm. it's just a trend I see in, in, in so many coaches. It's just like they just, just slowly start to deteriorate into this. And it's, it's like anytime I've met someone who's gone out of that, they just seem so liberated. You know what I mean? Now I'm not saying, and I, I just want to be clear. I'm not saying this is every single person pro sport, uh, but I've just seen, it's a common trend I've seen with a lot of people. It's just, they just like, they're not happy. That's what I'm trying to get at. So, um, talk to me though about, you know, the transition to when you got married, had a kid and then talk to us about NFL, European rugby, and then just your whole sort of, how do you manage yourself in this whole industry? I know that's a lot, but you've all the time now. It's all you. Yeah, no, man. And, and you know, we're in a 
crazy industry. And one thing that I would say is that, again, our industry is still incredibly young. You know what I mean? Very, tr- I very true. There, very true. There's, there's this maturation process that's happening. Um, and so to your point, we're kind of like we're in the adolescent stage right now, right? We're like, um, the, there's a ton of energy in it. There's a ton of, but like that energy like burns out really quickly. And you realize like, I was doing it because I had all this energy, but I didn't really know what it is I wanted to do per se, or what tomorrow would be like. You know what I mean? Um, one thing I, I grew up in New York and moved to Phoenix and geographically, geographically, not even culturally, geographically there, there, they couldn't be more different, right? You're talking about an East coast, very old, uh, on the water, uh, location and then you're talking about like the middle of the desert that was starting to grow um so it was you know phoenix is now kind of this sprawling metropolis but still very homogenous right like it, it is not very diverse and so when i got to phoenix i went from being in a place that had like four seasons legit four seasons and um the town that i grew up in was when I was in high school, which was 1996, um, a, a U.S.-based magazine, Red Book magazine, actually did a special on our town because it was the most culturally diverse town on the eastern seaboard. Um, 116 different dialects were spoken at my high school. Um, we had a wing, an entire wing of my high school that was solely dedicated to foreign language. And this is a high school, like I'm not talking about a university, right? Like where we had teachers that had to be bilingual and trilingual and our students had a 92% graduation rate. So Redbook was like, how the fuck are you doing this? Because you have kids coming to the school that when they enter your program, do not speak English and you're graduating them. And it's like, we, because we have to bring in teachers that speak three and four languages uh, to be able to, to, to educate them and teach them English. So. I went from that to, to, like I said, being in essentially a city that has one season. I mean, winter doesn't really exist in Arizona. And like I said, was, was fairly homogenous in terms of its, its demographic. I mean, it, it, it was, it was, it's highly Caucasian, right? So um, what I knew was that when I had a child, I wanted them to experience the seasons and I wanted them to experience some diversity at some point in time. Um, it, it just to be able to, to provide them with that in their toolbox, you know what I mean? So I, when, when I met my wife and knew right away, and she spent 30 years in Phoenix. One of the things that we talked about was, you know, when we have kids, there has to be a point in our lives and hopefully early enough where we have to make the decision that we're going to move somewhere else so that we're able to provide, I don't know if you want to use the word richer cultural experience for our kids, but we wanted to give them that. And so um, I remember having this discussion with Mark, um, you know, again, been at Exos, he and I developed a really, really strong relationship. And I remember one night I was like, listen, man, I love working here, but this is what I envision for my family. Is there a way that we can bridge this gap? 
You know, I don't know if there is going to be an exos location in New York. I don't know what your vision for the future is. And it doesn't have to be New York. You know what I mean? But I don't know what your vision is in terms of growth. But I want to let you know that this is something that's going to be super important for me. And so if, if this can, can work at exos, keep me in mind. But if this isn't in the plans for Exos and I'm not somebody that you have in mind in the event that a location that meets this kind of criteria comes up, understand that I may have to make a decision to transition and move on because ultimately this is going to have a greater impact for me um, because I believe it is a stronger responsibility that I have to, to my kids to provide them with this life experience than it is to maintain whatever position I have attained in this company. Like I'm willing to quote unquote, take a step down if it means that I'll be able to provide this experience for my family, as opposed to not providing with that experience in order to just continue to climb the ladder. You know what I mean? Um, and so that was, I don't want to say that was unique to me, Robbie, because I'm sure a lot of people make those decisions, but that was where my, that was where my, my mindset was. That was where my headspace was, um, in, in starting to, uh, to, to get an idea of what I felt like the next phase of my career would look like while hopefully also servicing what I believed was really, really important for my family. Um, so, so that's what my head was, man. My head was, was, I, I get an opportunity, you know, we get opportunities, man. We get an opportunity, hopefully, to, to provide our families with, with a life that, you know, one of my feelings is, is I want to do my best and I work as hard as I do. And you, you go back to thinking about coaches as humans, like, you're right, Robbie, like, we fucking work really hard we better be giving our families extraordinary lives if we're going to be working that much. You know what I mean? Like if I'm going to be on the road 20 weeks out of the year and I got to give up 20 out of 52 weekends with my son because I'm on the road with a team, well then shit, man, the other weekends that I'm not on the road, he better be having an extraordinary life. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? It, but it, it can't be that that is what I'm committing to the pot. But then when I turn around and I look at my wife and I look at my son and it's and I'm 50 and I've worked 70 hours a week and I can't say, well, that has resulted in you guys living in places that you could have never imagined or having experiences that you could have never imagined. Because if I can't provide you with that, then I can't work this much and be away from you. Like there has to be this compromise that we have. So um, that was kind of a deal that we made. And that really in the last four or five years drove a lot of the decision-making and that kind of takes us on that timeline, like you were talking about, um, uh, led a lot of the decision-making, but at the same time, not to your point, like not sacrificing everything that I worked for at the same time, right? Like, it's not like, all right, well, shit, I, I want to make sure that my son is able to play in the snow. So I'm going to take, you know, uh, uh, <clears throat> an assistant job at a high school in, in, in Berea earning, a fifth of what I made, you know what I mean? Like I still work really hard. So now you start to try and put the pieces of the puzzle together. Miles, great, great answer. Great answer. And it leads me into now. Okay. So you were at Texas in with, with Exos and then NFL comes a knocking. So take us from there. Yeah. One thing that was interesting again, and it's going to sound like I'm going back on myself. Um, 
one thing that I realized later on in my experience at Exos, worked with a lot of different populations, worked with a lot of different people and realized I really enjoy, like I said, working with uh, the variety. One thing that I had to be true to myself about too was that I got into it at the very beginning, 21 years old, because I wanted to work with football players. I played football. I wanted to, I wanted to help football players become better. The journey taught me that it's not just football, but I started the journey because of football, right? So I'd, I'd come to this point where I, where I was, you know, at Exo saying to myself, you know what? I do feel like if I get to the end of this, at 50, at 60, however long I'm doing this, if I get to, I feel like there is going to be a day where I wake up and I say to myself, if I never took the opportunity to work in the NFL, will I feel like it was complete? Um, not that I would not have, would I have had a regret? I didn't know at the time if I would have been at peace, not at least taking the opportunity because I, I knew that that's, I still to this day, football is my favorite sport. And so I, I, there was a point where I said to myself, you know what, if an opportunity in the NFL comes up, just to, I don't know if you want to say check it off, cross it off, be true to the kid that was 21, whatever it was, I felt like I owed that kid something as well. Because yeah. I knew that at 21, I would have done anything, which I did. I did anything to prepare myself to, that, to have that opportunity. And, you know, the growth that said it doesn't just have to be this doesn't mean, well, you'll be okay with the fact that you never did this, especially if you get the chance. <laughs> you know what I mean? So when, when the opportunity came uh, across, you know, when I got the opportunity, it was like, you know what, man, like, um, I, I need to do this. And if it's only a year and I realize it's not for me, then I'll be at peace. Or if it becomes what is, you know, another part of a 10 year career, then, then that will also be okay. But I knew that I needed, I needed to answer that question as well. And so when, when the Cleveland opportunity came up and here's, and this is also the other part that was really important that goes back to the original, um, the original point that you had made about coaches. What was also really important. I said this to my wife, I said, I'm not just going to choose any team. I don't necessarily get to choose, right? The 32 teams, right? But if somebody comes knocking and the strength coach that could be my boss, culturally, I don't agree. Or the organization culturally doesn't really seem to fit what I would feel like would be an environment that I would want to be in. You know, again, if it's, if it's a strength coach that is the kind of coach that's like, well, hey, man, there are only 32 of these jobs. so. I know you got a family, but you, you know, this is how we do it. You're going to come in at 5 a.m. You're going to go home at 10 p.m. And we're going to own you and you're not going to see your family. That's the price that we pay. Like, and there are coaches that are like that. Like you said, Joe Gibbs, I don't know him personally, so I can't really say, but you know, that are going to sleep at the facility. Like, I'm not fucking sleeping at the facility. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, you know, and, and if you feel like I, I'm not worthy, then that also means to me that this isn't the place for me. You know what I mean? Like I'm, I'm cool with that. You know, you know, so what was also important was the deal that I was going to make or the place that I was going to go. There had to be there had to be a cultural commonality. And I wasn't just going to take it because it was an NFL team or I wasn't going to take it because it was just a European rugby team. Like there had to be 
the values had to be shared. You know what I mean? Um, and it couldn't be, uh, I wasn't going to take it just because the NFL comes knocking and it doesn't knock on many doors, man. And they're only, you know, I hear so many times, there are only a hundred NFL jobs. If one of them is yours, you got to take it. And, you know, I, I didn't think that way. You know what I mean? It was really important that, um, that there was a shared value system. And I was incredibly fortunate that that existed at Cleveland. You know, the guy that was the head of the, the head of um, the director of, of high performance there was somebody that, you know, from a value system, we were very, very similar, what he wanted to bring um, and, and how he wanted to develop the athletes there was something that I respected and that I, I don't want to say I agreed with, but I, we definitely saw eye to eye. The other coaches that were on his staff um, shared that while also possessing some other skill sets that I, I admired and I knew I could learn from them. And so it was really, again, the right place at the right time. And, and, and then Cleveland was a city that was very, very much like New York. I mean, it was, it's a, you know, they'll call it a Midwestern city, but I think it's more Northeastern than, than Midwestern. It's, it's on the lake there. It's, it's very, it's very diverse. It's very blue collar. It's, it's got hot, intense, sweaty summers and bitingly cold, um, snow filled winters and, 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 amazing fall and spring um it is the most loyal football city i've ever lived in um to this day i've lived in a number of cities that have incredible attachments to their professional teams i've lived in new york i lived in alabama where their attachment to the university of alabama is is unlike uh, any other i've uh, in Auburn for people out from Alabama I'll throw them in there <laughs> I, lived, I lived in Dallas I lived in Dallas Texas where the Cowboys are based I lived in Arizona where the Cardinals are based I now live in Limerick where where Munster is based and you said the GA sports you know Limerick hurling um you know there there's an incredible there's an incredible they're incredible sports cities they pale in comparison to Cleveland and I'll go on record saying that wow in comparison to Cleveland. I've never been anywhere where the Browns especially are held so closely and are so truly representative of the people that inhabit that city. Uh, it, it is an incredibly special place. And that's why their, their lack of success for so long was so hard to take and where their current success in this past year and the future that they hold moving forward is such like this incredible beacon. If there's one thing that I, that I wish I could have been a part of was the first time they won last year on that Thursday night. My wife asked me all the time, do you regret leaving Cleveland? I said, I don't regret leaving Cleveland, but I wish I was there that night because I can only imagine how much it meant to that city. You know what I mean? So, so the move to Cleveland for me professionally, from a, a personal standpoint, from my family, and just for an experience to be in a city that was so loyal to a team that was fighting so hard for so long to be successful. You knew that these weren't bandwagon. You know, th they weren't just hopping on because they wanted to ride the wave. When it, I mean, these are people that were, that were sticking by this team in the worst possible experience that a professional team could have. Um, amazing, amazing time.
Yeah, yeah. I I, uh, I followed the NFL fairly closely there last season, and yeah, you well, you you. I don't know what it's like down in Limerick, but I know with all my friends up here in Dublin, like NFL's huge here in Ireland. Some people don't realize that. Like a lot of the. <laughs> Like so many Irish people follow the NFL, it's ridiculous. Like, but yeah, because we were we were all speaking about like you know when uh, Baker Mayfield you know got re- recruited, and they were like, they were, I remember having like conversation with boys and Jim, like, do you think he'll start or what do you, what do you make him? And uh, and then when they started winning, like you know, it was just it was it was like we were talking about the Browns because a lot a lot of my friends here in Ireland they actually they would follow the the Patriots just because I suppose Ireland has such connection with New England. Yeah. Yeah. But no, I'm blown away by it, Robbie. I'm blown away by how popular the NFL is here. It is. It's yeah, incredible. It's mad. It's mad. It's, uh, yeah. you know, it's funny when you were talking about like the NFL, like I, I like about the combine, like I was kind of, cause I, I was at Exos when I was at Alta this time. I was at Exos when the combine was going on and it's just like, like the, it's just a whole other world, the NFL. Like it's, you know, it's just a business. Like the, like the. I know you were saying when I go to Indianapolis, it is like the most intensive experience a young human being probably could go through, with regards to just being scrutinized, not just as an athlete, but the interview and they're brought in, and there's just so much preparation that doesn't need to go into that, and not even just physically, but as you know, like the mental aspect of the interview, sitting down with all these teams, and like they're all just trying to suss them out, like you know, do we really want to recruit this young kid? Like you know, I heard he had issues at home and you know there was drug issues and like what's he like should we take a risk on him it's like jesus because I, I, I remember when i went to when i was at when i was at the extra facility like i used to be sitting in the change room and like all the guys who were training for the combine would come in and like i was just like these are just babies just kids yeah. just, kids. just kids yeah. like you know what i mean 19 18 well sorry a bit older you know 20 21 but they're there on their you know their phones and just like you know lovely young fellas don't get me wrong but just and I mean this in a very like I, I noticed this is this is gonna sound so cliche, but I mean this in a nice possible way. They were just clueless. Do you know? And I was there thinking like yeah. these kids could could end up with millions in, in like a contracts and it's just like they're not prepared for it. Like and then like people wonder why like some professional athletes go nuts. It's like they're just not prepared for that. You'd know yeah. better you'd know better than anyone having trained a lot of them, you know. Yeah, you know, and that was uh not to get into the whole combine thing, but that was a huge part of the process there as well. It was like, how are yeah. we preparing for the next step? Because they've got the physical part down. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like that's like, honestly, people think that that's what we're doing. Like it's not, I would say, I said this cause I've talked to people about it and you hit the nail on the head. It's not about getting the kids. And this is, again, has taught me a lot about performance and it's something that I hopefully mm. can impart here. It's not about whether you can run that fast. It's about, whether you'll let the mind games make you run slower because that's what it is. You know what I mean? That's exactly and that's, what. that's what they want to know. They want to know on day four, after we've shown you that we know every secret, so don't lie to us. We've woken you up at any time of the day because we want to prove to you that we'll do whatever we want with you. Yeah. So you're only going to get three hours of sleep. We'll tell you ahead of time too. So, I mean, fuck it. Go home and think about it and let it bother you. But we're knocking on the door. After four days of that, you said you can run a 4-4. Now let's go see you do it. And um, that's what they're looking for. And it's, it is a testament to resilience if you're prepared yeah. and, and education and, and what, what you're capable of doing. But to your point, so many of them are just unprepared for all of that. And that's what the process is about, right? Like if you mm. can't handle this, 
how are you going to handle 20 million when we sign that check in a month? But you know what too, Dennison, sorry, not to go, not to digress too much. Cause I want you to get into now to your move to, to, um, to Ireland and obviously, you know, getting involved with European rugby and professional rugby. But, uh, it, it wasn't it, it wasn't even so much getting them mentally prepared for their interactions with the potential teams that may sign them. It was getting them mentally prepared for the family. As in yeah. like as in like these lads, right, they, if they get country you know, they're like all oh, these uncles and aunties and like obviously their parents, you know, and they're all like because like, I heard stories where, like, you know, these lads get contracts or they get signed, and all of a sudden, all these family members who, like, they barely knew were all, like, you know, just basically wanting them to just give them money and look after them now. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. And just, like, the attention they were getting. And then, obviously, another great thing I saw there lately, uh, I can't remember exactly where I saw Oh, I read it. I read it in a book, actually. I was reading it. What book did I read it in? But it, it was talking about, like, um, you know, I think it was in made. I think it was in the book made a stick by the the Heat brothers. They were trying to get the point across, like to mm. the young to the young NFL players and also NBA players, of like how like how manipulated they can be now by but uh, by certain people. So they were all like, uh, they actually they were saying that it was, this this it wasn't that book made a stick. This was the story. They were like they brought all the NBA draft players right, and they brought them out one night. And uh, they, they, this was staged, and they brought all these girls out to flirt with them, and this, that, and the other, and all yeah. that. And the next morning, like they were all like, "Well, how did you enjoy your night out last night, guys?" We're like, "Oh yeah, great, 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 great." And then like they showed, them, "Did you, did you interact with these girls?" We're like, "Oh yeah, they were great, they were great." And they're like, "Do you know all those girls uh, were HIE positive?" And we said, "We'd set, we'd set them up like to flirt with you and all that." And they were like, "What?" And the whole idea was to really make it, make it stick. The whole point. Of Make stick, make a stick in their head that geez, we need to get one around because they were comparing the NBA the way the way they dealt with the NBA draft players, the NFL, the NFL. They were just like they just sit in a meeting and talk, and it's just like it doesn't have the same effect. It wasn't as tangible, right. you know what I mean? But yeah, sorry, and I've kind of digressed from my digression. The whole thing was that I was just used to be sitting in the dressing room with these young combine lads, and like I was like, right, we've already touched on like they need to be mentally prepared for the interview with the team, and it's kind of like politics. He was like, don't lie, we we know every dirty secret, so there's no point in lying. <laughs> That's yeah. but it was just him being prepared for the family like you know what I mean just like you know just again to make a contract and it's like oh I just you know as I said they're just babies I was just in the training room like you know I'm not that old either like at the time I was 29 but these like just, just babies you know what I mean they're just like I was just like they need to be so, and I, I know that's a huge part of their preparation at Exos is they, they get someone in and they help them with the, the interview process but I just think people aren't aware of that and as you alluded to like people just like oh they go to like these facilities and they're just working on and all their you know general physical preparation like that's mainly it's the mental shit I mean it, they're, they're already going to the yep. combine because they're already physically gifted yeah yeah exactly so Dennis bring, bring us down right so you're at Cleveland like how do you go from Cleveland then to, to good old Limerick Ireland it's like uh, I, I was at I was at Connacht Rugby with David Howitt if, uh, by the way his fucking yeah. story his fucking story is unbelievable from Australia to Sparta Science to the fucking oh, M- oh yeah. to the NBA Australian rugby guy to the yeah. NBA and then he ends up in the west of Ireland. Yeah. And I, I remember asking, I was like, I was like, Dave, how the fuck are you here, man? But anyway, <laughs> we'll, 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 when I have him on, we'll, we'll let him tell his story. But for you now, so you're you're in the NFL, and then you know, Monster Rugby comes a knocking, or you know, you're, you're involved now with European Rugby. How, how does this come about? How do you end up in Limerick? Yeah, you know, so um, 
there was a position that had opened up here and, and uh, a former colleague of mine who's, who's still also a good friend of mine who's, who's also working with Irish rugby um, called me up and said, you know, and, and it, was, it, was, it was interesting because, you know, we're friends and we're always trying to keep tabs on each other. And, you know, what are you doing next? What do you have next in mind? You know, we've got that relationship. And, um, you know, he calls me up and he was just like, you know, there's this position opening up. Uh, and I don't think he was serious. Of course, he was fishing a little bit. But, um, but I don't think he ever thought, and I, to be honest with you, I don't think I gave it much thought either that there would be any interest in me. He was like, oh, you know, there's this position over. If you're interested, man, you know, give me a shout. Ha, ha, ha. And we, we hung up the phone, you know what I mean? Like, <laughs> there wasn't really that, – that was really the, the, the extent of it in the moment. And, um, <laughs> and, uh, and, and, again, my wife comes home from work, and, you know, I'm like, hey, you know, I, I caught up with so-and-so today. And she's oh, yeah, you know, back and forth. And, you know, I was like, you know, he said there's a position to open up in, in Ireland. And uh, she, like, snaps her head around. Like, she's putting the groceries away. And she snaps her head around, and she looks at me. She goes, so what'd you say? I was like, well, I didn't say anything. Like, it was kind of a joke. And she was like, well, why was it a joke? Like, why don't you find out a bit more about this? Like, what's the position, and, and what would it entail? And I was like, are you – would you be interested in going to Ireland? She was like – we said extraordinary lives, right? Like, didn't you say that? Like, didn't you say extraordinary lives? And I was just like, fair enough. Um, and did some background on, on, on the team and called him back and said, look, man, I'm not making any promises here because I'm in the league, but like, just tell me more about this. Like, what are we, what are we talking about? He's like, are you serious? And I was like, well, I'm serious to know more. You know what I mean? I'm serious to know more about what, what this might entail. And so, um, and so, Honestly, like that's where it went, and little by little, you know, um, we spoke more about it. Um, again, like I said, extraordinary lives. If this is an opportunity in our life to 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 live in Europe and have our son live in Europe, and if it's an opportunity again for me to then hopefully challenge myself by not only being in a different culture, uh, country culturally, but in a different sport culturally, and again test those first principles, you know, is this something that I feel like, you know, can, can work here? And again, is there a cultural fit? When talking to the head coach, there was a very, very strong connection that, that myself and the head, the head coach had from a value standpoint, um, what we wanted to, to hopefully um, embody culturally from an organization and, and having an opportunity to really be a part of that. Um, I wanted to be a part of that. You know what I mean? I felt like, again, take myself from the trenches. How can I stretch myself to have an impact in, in, in a different way? Um, what was great about Cleveland was it allowed me to coach full time. What was challenging for me about being in Cleveland was I didn't have the opportunity to impact the organization culturally in a way that I, I had experienced at Exos and that I appreciated and enjoyed. And, and that was, of all of the things, <clears throat> Robbie, that was probably the most difficult part of being in Cleveland for me. Mm -hmm. um, I remember talking to, um, again, a friend of mine while I was in Cleveland, and they asked me, what is, what's the most difficult part? What's the most difficult part of being at the team? And I said, what's interesting is, is <clears throat> I remember my last two years at Exos. I don't remember my first two years. And what I mean by that was 
I said to you earlier on this podcast that it was great. I worked in the military and I was at the combine and I was, you know, I was, and those were all great experiences, but the learning curve <clears throat> and the need to build relationships and trust. Like I told you that I had this conversation with Mark Stegen about where I want to take my family in year six of being there. But in year one of being there, I was, nobody trusted me per se. And you know what I mean? Like, <clears throat> and Mark didn't know who I was. Like I couldn't make a suggestion to Mark, not that he's not that type of guy, but like yeah. on what we should do culturally. Like, and I didn't understand my place in the, the organization yet. Like now looking back at it, I can see how I had developed. But in that moment, in those first two years, like it's incredibly difficult. You know what I mean? Like it's incredibly difficult <clears throat> um, finding your footing and really understanding what the organization is and really understanding if you belong there. It isn't until I was at Exos the fourth, fifth, and sixth year that people knew who I was. I knew where my strengths were. I knew where my weaknesses were so I could leverage my strengths. I, I, you know, the hardest part for being in Cleveland was I went back to being a year one person. Nobody knew who I was. I couldn't just walk in and talk to the head coach. I couldn't just, you know, offer up advice where I could see change or, you know, um, and I yearned for that opportunity again is what I also realized. I realized I don't know if I want to put in, and this may sound awful, but I don't know if I want to put in another five years to get to the point where I can now really start to say, aside from teaching these guys speed technique and aside from spotting them when they lift, like I have had an impact on this team. And what I realized with this new opportunity was I would have had more leverage to, to do that, which is what I really wanted to do. Like I wanted, I, I'm at this point now. And I say at this point, I don't know if that's fair to say where I, I want to go beyond the X's and O's, mm. you know what I mean? I, I want to know culturally, behaviorally, uh, from a value standpoint, I, I have, I have a vote that people have to let me cast. And I knew that if I was going to be in a head roll, which is, which, which is what this was, if it meant I didn't have to, which I also wanted, I don't have to work on the X's and O's because I've got really talented coaches working that I'm working with that will handle the X's and O's. I can guide and kind of deliver. But more than anything else, I get a voice with the head coach. I get a voice with the CEO to ask the question, is 85% of what we're doing principle-based and they have to go, oh, that isn't a stupid question. They have to go, well, shit, you know what? Maybe we need to give you an answer because we think you're, you know what I mean? I wanted to have that and not just say, well, I get an influence because I chose 85% at this squad and, you know, squats are going to really help our guys run faster. Well, I will, I'm beyond that piece, you know what I mean? Like, yeah. and that's what this, this, that's what this position would have offered me. And so when I thought about that part of where I wanted to be in my career plus my family gets an extraordinary life, you know, it very quickly became, you know what, this probably is a no brainer. You know what I mean? Like, uh, uh, and then it was, well, will you be at peace if you only spent one year in the NFL? And, you know, I was like, yeah, I, I will be, you know, I get that. That doesn't go away. I get to always say, and I always get to know that I was in the NFL, you know what I mean? But, um, but I was also, I also, that, experience let me know again what 
kind of role I wanted to play in an organization. Mm. And I needed that to let me know that I don't just want to be a strength coach in the NFL. If I'm going to be working and committed to an organization, this is the kind of influence I really want to have. And I wanted it sooner than later. Not that I could have had that in the NFL, but I wanted it sooner than later. I didn't want to have to wait. And so, um, and so, yeah. As as one human being to another, I have to say I, I have massive respect for your determination to stay true to your values. It, it, it you know it's 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 a, it's really resonating with me in terms of just from one as I said like human to another. It's it's rare to see because I think so many people. And like I'm as flawed as anyone, so for anyone listening to this, this is coming from a human being who has the same insecurities and fears and worries as anyone else listening to this and, and self-identities. But so many of us would, would just stay in a certain role and want to stay self-identified even when we know deep down inside of us, you know what, this, this isn't what I want. This isn't fulfilling me. And to, to be able then to take that step into the unknown and into an uncertain realm where like, I feel that while this is uncertain and scary, I've, I know I have to do this. And then to be able to do that and detach yourself from the certainty and from a certain, you know, identification that you have self-identified with, be it like with a team or an organization that again, deep down, you know, okay, this is a fantastic role and I really appreciate it, but I know if I'm being true to myself, it isn't what I want and it isn't going to lead to fulfillment. So just from, again, one person, one human, one man to another, I really respect your uh, your ability to stay true to your core values. Shoot, man, I, I appreciate that. Um, it's not easy. <laughs> you know, it's not, and that's what I mean. It's not easy. And I'll tell you, sorry, and I'm, a, I'm a, as your mother would say, you're a devil. I'm a devil for for cutting across people. But uh, one other person who just comes to mind, as, and I think I think this would just really sort of cement this sort of section of our conversation here is, I can remember when Miladin Janovic got his position with Port Adelaide in Australia, and I was so happy for him because I knew how for how long Maladin just wanted to be with a top class organization in terms of their sports science and S&C. And then after a year, I saw, I saw he decided to leave. And the reason he decided to leave was his son was back in Serbia. And he's like, listen, I, I can't stay here in Australia, even though it's my dream job and I love it, but I will not be able to live myself. And I know I won't be fully fulfilled as a man, a human, and a father if I don't go back and support my son and he stuck true to his core values so he's, at the end of the day he's like what is what's more important here you know me as a father me as a, my son or you know this role here at Port Adelaide and while he loved his role at Port Adelaide he was you know he he, he took the harder decision and I just I, I remember I, I messaged him that day because I knew how hard that was and I just said listen from again one human to another I respect your decision so much and I think you're you're a better man for it like well done it's a very hard thing you have to do a step away and just in terms of your own journey like you know being in the positions you've held you know to be able to go into those interview positions and be able to look at those positions and say listen I have a family they're the thing I, I value above everything else and if what you're offering here even though it's phenomenal and I truly appreciate what you have here if, it, if this does not fit my core values I, I just have to I'd have to decline like and 
I just think so many of us are too afraid to do that because again, it, it leads into that area of uncertainty. And there's one thing humans just don't like, it's uncertainty. You know, we like to have certainty in our lives. And, but just, yeah. for, you know, you fail to do that. I think it's, it's phenomenal, you know, and I really, really do respect that. No, thanks, Robbie. I appreciate that, man. Come here, you, you're saying like X's and O's and as, as you're going on there, I, one part of me is like, you know, I, I'd li- I would like to ask Dennis, like, what's, what is his role, his current role with, with the team he's involved in? But, you know, a lot of our conversations and a lot of conversations I have nowadays, and just even from what you just alluded to there, it's beyond the X's and O's now. I think a lot of people are like, you know, if I hear another podcast on like fucking <laughs> squats and GPS and, you know, yeah. fucking jump yeah. metrics and... You know, I've got to blow my brains out. Don't get me wrong. Don't get me wrong. Listen, that yep. stuff is important and it has its place and it's all about context. But I, I understand we're on time crunches here and I suppose I'd like to make this time a little more valuable. And there's a few other questions I'd like to ask uh, before we wrap up here. And first one is, and that's if you, if you have time, if you have to leave, you just let me know. Or if you need to mm-hmm. like make a pit stop into the toilet there. Because again, we, we're speaking about family here as well. And I don't, I don't want to take it, take it away from your family too long. But uh, how has fatherhood changed you, Dennis? What, 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 like, so before you had your son, after you had your son, what's what's truly changed? Man, um, it's a it's a difficult question to answer because I don't want to say I don't know, <laughs> but or maybe maybe say maybe I reword that. What has it taught you so far, rather than changed you? Well, well. I, what I was going to say, man, was it's something that I've thought about for so long. Um, it is, it is the central role that I feel like I am on the planet for. Wow. Um, uh, it, it is. Um, and so I think what it, what is, I've always considered myself to be an eager person. I've always considered myself to be, I won't say anxious because I, I don't worry about things, yeah. but, but I would almost put the word impatient there. And, and I, I, it's hard for me to articulate, but I know if you were to ask my mother and ask my brother, they would know exactly what I'm saying. Like I, I, I'm, I'm always, I, I guess the positive word is like ambition. But again, that's not correct because what I'm trying to what I'm trying to say here is my son has taught me that maybe I'm I'm more patient than I gave myself credit for. Mm. You know what I mean? Yes. Um, I think he's taught me that I'm I'm I might be more outwardly compassionate and empathetic than I may have given myself credit for. So like a lot of the early part of this conversation, Robbie, was that I identified with combat sports. A lot of this early part of this conversation was that I, I, I can see kind of like this, this mentality and I, I connect with this mentality that's honorable where, where I enjoy being around, connecting, leading, training, interacting with tough human beings. And whatever, whatever image that that human being conjures in your mind and how they would behave, not just in the arena, but outside of the arena, I would kind of consider to possess those qualities. And 
compassion and patience and tolerance are not the three words that come to mind mm. when you think of those people. Do you know what I'm saying? Yes. And think up until I became a father, I definitely saw myself that way. And I, and I was unapologetic about it. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, because I knew what my identity was, you know what I mean? Like, I'm not going to apologize for who and how I am. And it doesn't mean that like I'm sharp with people, but I, I definitely felt like if I had the qualities that would, def that other people would say, ah, oh, man, he's got a thick exterior or he's, you know, I was okay with it. And being a father has taught me that there's more to me. Like, it doesn't mean that I'm not those things, but I can also be patient, compassionate, and, and, and the other words that you wouldn't necessarily associate with that. Like, he brings those things out of me. And it's not that I've become a different, I'm not a different person around him. He's just taught me how to maybe um, not necessarily express those things, but he makes me more constantly aware of them because children are not impatient with asking you why. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like children are not, they don't hesitate to not only ask you why, but then point out when you don't even realize, oh, dad's laughing or, oh, dad's ticklish or, oh, you know, like they're, they're not. Whereas like, as you get older, the people you're around, they, they see it, but they don't put you on the spot. You know what I mean? Like, and they, they, they almost like, like my brother who um, is probably the funniest person I know, like <laughs> he will be the person that says, he said to me one time, what I love most about myself is I know I can make you laugh. Um, but he doesn't say that to me all the time. Like, you know what I mean? Like he doesn't point it out. And it took that. I remember when he said to me for him to realize, for me to realize, whereas my son will say that to me every day, yeah. you know what I mean? And, and I realized, Oh shit. Well, you know what? I've laughed a million times today when, you know, my general thought about myself is that I'm serious or that I'm stoic. You know what I mean? Um, so when you say, what is he, what his fatherhood taught me? He has taught me that, um, maybe I'm, I possess more than I give myself credit for. And, um, and he teaches me that every day. And, and uh, now I can't imagine being, a, you know, what I would be without him because of that, because he literally has made me realize that there are things that I possess that I didn't know I did. Um, and so I'm, yeah, I can't. I'm yeah. It's, it. it's, it, it's such a beautiful aspect of children in that like, they're so brutally honest because they don't know any other way yet. And also they're, they've no agenda because yeah. again, they're so young. So everything they do is actually purely 100% genuine because they don't know any different. So that, that's such a beautiful thing about, about kids, you know, is that just everything they do at that early stage is really just from genuine intent. And as you see, you know, they ask why they generally just want to know why, or when they point things out, it's generally because they just, they just they just want to like acknowledge that this is actually what's happening right now in the present. So yeah, it's that's a phenomenal answer. Um yeah, I can really can really sense how much how much your son means to you. Danny said you said you're thirty nine. So what's been the biggest lesson you've learned so far in your thirty nine years? If you had to impart one to the listeners. Um, I think I've been saying it and you hit on it too, man. Um, you know, uh, 
walk the journey, man. You know mm. what I mean? Mm. Um, it, it, you know, and it, I don't want to be all like Eastern with it and, and, you know, Buddhist. I'm not even sure if I'm saying that correctly, but like one thing, one thing that I have definitely learned is that no matter what, and everybody says it, so it sounds really cliche, man, but it's like, just fucking walk the journey and stop worrying so much, man. Like, it, at the end of the day, you will likely end up where you want to be. Just so stop worrying about it. And instead of looking down at your feet, look up and, and just kind of like go where the signs take you. You know what I mean? Like uh, I never in my wildest dreams could have imagined 18 years ago, like I said, when I decided that this is what I wanted to do, that this is where it would bring me. Mm. But at the same time, like right now it makes sense. You know what I mean? Like it, like it makes sense for me and in my career and my family and wherever I'm going to, and five years ago, moving to Texas made sense and moving to Cleveland made sense. And it's not that they don't make sense anymore. It's just like, that's kind of the way the journey is. I think, I think, you know, I think we're too, we're too wrapped up. I don't want to say wrapped up in the goal because it's important to have goals, man. But like, for me, if I get to the goal and I look back at the path and the path and I, I'm on the, it, the path wasn't, didn't possess what I wanted it to possess. Then I don't know if just attaining the goal means that it was, it was worth it. Again, I'm not Machiavellian that way. I don't believe yeah. the end by the means. Like, I believe that enjoy it man like enjoy it embrace embrace the process embrace the process yeah absolutely enjoy it um and brett bartholomew is right man we're human man like embrace the humanity of it and and don't be robotic about it man like you know like there yeah you know um you are not it's what i do it's not who i am you know, exactly. a friend of mine asked this the other day, you know, he said, you know, does your career define you? And I said, no, it's what I do. It's not who I am. And if I believe that, then the career can't make all of the choices. Yeah, absolutely beautiful. I, I always think about this David, Dave Tanny quote, and I always, I just, I just love how he worded this. He said, take your passion, or if you want to say your vocation seriously, but don't take yourself so serious. Yeah, I, lo- I love that. Does. You know, the way he kind of wrapped yep. it up in like, it's it's okay to have, you know, ferocious passion for something that really fulfills you or to have a vocation that you were just so passionate about that that's what gets you going. It gets you to wake up every day. But in that process, don't be a dickhead is basically, exactly. what, you know, you know, <laughs> yeah. be, you know, like, listen, it's something we're always working on. I think, you know, internally too, you know, there's certain times, like even during just over the, you know, interaction with someone during a day and you could, you know, I could be nicer when I interact with that person and say, I know I was in a rush or I was hungry or, you know, that kind of way. And it's just kind of like something I, I've been saying to myself lately and other people is like, try to be a person you want to be around, you know? Yeah. So like, you know, be that person when you walk into the room that people go, oh, this, this motherfucker's here. I love this guy. You know, yeah, that that's kind of where you want to get to. So I always love that with David Tani and that he's like, take your passion seriously, but don't take yourself so serious. So I always love that. Yeah. Uh, I've wow. only got I've only got three more for you, but and then I'll, I'll let you go because uh, I'm truly yeah. I, I can speak to you all day. But again, again, want to be appreciative of your time. I think I'm get you back to your family. How do you learn, Dennis? So with that question, 
there's something you just really just want to understand inside and out what would your process be about that how would you tackle that yeah i, I it's not complex it's probably like what everybody else does i go down the rabbit hole i um uh, i i look at who are the big names that may have spoken on that topic very good and um anything else around it and, and what's interesting is that you know whenever you put your eye on something, then the things start to come into focus, right? Like I believe it's, it's entirely true. Like, uh, you didn't notice that you, there were 15 Renaults in your, in, in, in your neighborhood until you bought, until you bought one, right? Like the, the universe kind of conspires to your will. And so, um, for me, that's kind of as simple as I can put it. That's kind of the rabbit hole I go down. Like, um, it's it's this is interesting so like i said for me like right now first principles is like really really interesting as a general concept for me and then all of a sudden it's like well charlie munger comes up and elon musk comes up and yeah. Stephen pinker comes up and then it's like holy shit Stephen pinker just put out a new book and you know and all of a sudden it's like wow two months ago i didn't even know about Stephen pinker and all and i i will go down the rabbit hole and then, like I said to you, and start asking the questions in all of the other areas that I am currently in, right? So yeah. it's like, I am now interested, currently interested in, like I said, the, the, the concept of first principles come, came up from me reading about Charlie Munger, who works with Warren Buffett at yeah. Berkshire Hathaway. So they're talking about, you know, the first principles of uh, loosely of economics. But then, like I said, I'm going all right, I'm going to ask our rugby coaches this question. And then I'm going to ask my CEO this question. And you know, I'm going to ask my pastor this question. I'm going to ask my parents this question. And invariably they will then have a resource that goes into the pot and I continue to follow the rabbit hole. That's kind of, that's what I do. Like I, I try to, whatever the idea is, not stay within a specific network, but then spread it to the entire network that I have to try and get some information back to me i don't know if you uh listened to my one of my latest podcasts with um with miladin janovic but uh we we and we spoke about this he's been on my podcast twice but we actually spoke about this the two times he's on and that you can take principles from other domains like and they're completely applicable yeah. to sports performance so for instance uh with economics like miladin he outlines three heuristics in his book that he brought out the hit manual and the three heuristics that he took from economics that he applied to training were make it simple, decrease downside, increase upside. And if you listen to like Ray Dalio, like Dalio is like one of the top investors in the world, like, and he's got yep. his book out principles. But I heard him in an interview, um, and he's on, I think this was Tim Ferriss, but I've heard him speak a few times. And his whole thing was like about asset allocation. And like, if you think about what asset allocation is, it's just allocating your assets into different portfolios so that if one goes down, you have all, like, if, if so, if you have a, like, if, if one just completely blows up, it's a disaster. You haven't put all your eggs in one basket. And like, if you apply that to training, it's just like complex parallel or concurrent training. It's like, we don't yeah. just, we don't just like focus on one quality and let everything else go to shit. We always keep a thread of everything in the program. It's just like, you can see these first yeah. principles and how they apply. Like, so that's an excellent answer just going off that dennis uh what 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 would be your top and current reading recommendations so what are you currently reading what what would be your number one book to give away as a gift yeah perfect right so uh, perfect so i'm currently reading um a book called the instant economist Mm. um and again like i said it's kind of rabbit hole first principles like i said i'm trying to tie off i i decided (laughs) 
I was going to read a book on first principles in each main category in my life currently. So I just happen to be on the finance side of it. But, you know, the next part of it might be, again, I've got to look for the book, but hopefully it will either be like about strength and conditioning or spirituality or, or something of that line. But it was kind of like I, I, I have this journal and uh, about four months ago I said, all right, uh, I read this Farnham Street blog that was on Elon Musk and he was talking about first principles and, you know, Elon Musk follows them. And I said, you know what? Like I said, I was going to say, what are the first principles? Strength and conditioning, finances, spirituality, rugby. And I'm going to take whatever, I'm, I'm going to look for a book in that domain. I'm going to read that book and study the principles there. And like you said, hopefully at the end of this, find out where the common threads are because they're going to, they're going to show themselves, right? So that's kind of the project that I'm on right now. And right now it's the Instant Economist. Um, a book that I enjoyed more than any other uh, this year that I would gift is Shoe Dog by Phil Knight. Yeah, very um, few people mention that. I must get that. It, it, yeah, yeah. I've spent, I've, I was going to ask a stupid question. I was going, is that a good book? I was like, well, obviously that's his fucking answer. <laughs> No, but you know, it's funny though, Robbie, because I, before I read it, it was the same experience I had. Like it was kind of like everywhere. And it's weird because you ask people, like I would ask people that had read it, is it a good book? Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. They're like, yeah, it's a great book. But you don't, I don't want to say you don't expect it to be. And I feel like that is what the power of that book was. Like I, I got to the end of it. And I realized I had written down more quotes from that book than I had with other books. And like, unexpectedly, you know what I mean? Like, like I said, I keep a journal. And so after, after every night, I'll write down like some of the key things that I had thought about that day or some of the key things that people had said to me that day. And I'll kind of write them down because I want to keep a tally. Things that I feel like, all right, this, this made an imp Like, I remember this of this day, mm -hmm. you know, you know, in the, 12 hours that I spent talking to people, listening to a podcast, talking to my wife, reading a book, like you get to the end of your day. And if you were to sit down right before you go to bed and say, all right, what of this entire day of information going in and out of my head, like really stuck that I feel like I should take with me into tomorrow. And it was interesting. Like I found that shoe dog was like on uh, something from shoe dog was on every page for that month. Yeah. And it wasn't by design, right? Because I wasn't trying to be biased, but it was just like, wow, that is what that book is like and very, and like sneakily. So like, and that's why like it's in really impactful because you just, you don't expect it. And it's so well written, but like there are these gems that just like keep hitting you that he hits you with. And it's not pretentious. You know what I mean? Like it is not, it's a, it's a memoir. It's not like, it's not like principles by Ray Dalio where like you're going into this expecting to be blown away by the end of it. You know what I mean? You're just like, yeah. well, fuck, like I'll read a book named shoe dog. And you're like, Holy shit. Like that was, <laughs> that was like great. That was great. Like, um, as a gift, that's what I would gift to someone and not even tell them just read this and just, you know, Enjoy. Smile. I'll smile a month later. When well, watching. when we get off this call, I'll I be gone. When we get off this call, I'll be going onto my account with Dublin City Libraries and ordering that book. I always get library books, so they have all those books. This is great. There you go. 
Shoe dog. I have to get that an auction advantage as well because my my master's thesis I'm I'm doing a a breeding intervention on reprint spinability, so I have to I got to read up on on respiratory training. So I actually had Patrick. I actually interviewed Patrick McCown from Auction Advantage. He's a cool dude. Um, wrapping up here. Um, what was the next one I had in mind there for you? There's a dinner question, but what else was I going to say there to you? Oh, D, is there anything you do on a daily basis that you feel is essential to your day? Yeah. So, um, so like what, what it has become, and I just alluded to it is journaling. Mm. Um, and and do, you, I, do you do that? Like, do you do that like morning, evening, or just when you get a chance or do you have a day, like a time of the day you always journal? So I've, it, it's gone back and forth. Yeah. Um, it, for a time, like it was, it was like, that's what I'm going to do before I go to sleep. Like I said, I want to kind of capture the day mm. um, before I go to bed. Um, now it's kind of like transition to, it's what I want to do. It's the first thing I want to do when I get to the office because I don't want to walk into the office and then it all become about the office. It's almost like it, I want to use it as a reminder, yeah. as kind of like humanity piece. Like you were saying, like, don't take yourself so seriously. Like I'm at work. So now I'm going to switch everything off and I'm in work mode. So I almost wanted it to be where it's like I go in and I write and it can't be about work. It's got to be about something else. And that's my journal. So mm. currently that's kind of where I am. And I feel like I chose that because of the part of the season that we're in, where I feel like you can become swallowed by it very, very quickly. We're in preseason. So, um, so it, it's kind of to like keep me in check. I feel like so, um, but the greater answer is, is whenever it happens, I feel like, that's the thing where it's got to happen every day. Yeah. I've got, I've got it. I'm currently in this place where like, that's the piece that I want to keep. And like I said, more than anything, man, uh, it's almost just like a chronicle because this is a very unique time in my life. You know, I'm, I'm a head of athletic performance for a European rugby club in, in Ireland. Like Jesus, I, I hope that I'm diligent and disciplined in, in capturing that because I'm not going to be here forever. At least I don't think I am. And I want to make sure that um, these are pieces that I, I, I take with me uh, wherever I go. I kind of wish I had done it more because I would love to look back. You know, you always hear strength coaches say, man, I look at programs I wrote 10 years ago and I'm like, man, what the hell was I thinking? You know, so much. And it's, it's true. And I don't want my programs to be the only remnants. And I, and I love that I still have those programs, but I'm yeah. also kind of a bit disappointed that I didn't capture my thoughts. I just captured the programs, you know what I mean? And so yeah. I want to make sure that, that I take that with me. Man, you, you must be a mind reader because you kind of segue beautifully into this next question is, you know, uh, this, is, this is purely stolen from Scott Livingstone, Scott, Scott Livingston from uh, Leave Your Mark. So I, I don't think Scott listens to my podcast, but Stu McMillan does. So Stu be like, hey, you saw that from Scott. <laughs> but Scott, Scott asked this question at the end of his podcast. And it's like, you know, he words it really, really eloquently. I didn't say that word right, but I'm going to paraphrase it here. But, you know, he, one day you're going to leave this planet, hopefully not for a very, 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 very long time. But how would you like to be remembered, uh, Dennis? Um, you, you kind of hit it, man. I, I hope I'm remembered as someone that ultimately didn't take himself too seriously, but really cared at the same time, which can be difficult. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, and, and I think that's the trick, right? Like I don't take myself too seriously about myself, but I take you seriously. And, and so I, I want, 
I hope the people that I cross paths with, that's the feeling that they're left with. Even if they're not, even if they're, even if they don't think the, you don't take yourself seriously part, because like I said, I think, I think I've kind of created that. Uh, and that's something that, like I said, I've learned, like I've created, I may have created the impression that I am a serious person, but I hope that the people that I cross paths with believe that I took them seriously and that I cared about them. And if they believe that and they remember that about me, then, then I can't ask for much more because that's really what, that's really what I want. You know what I mean? Like I want the people that I cross paths with to know that I gave them time because I believe that they're important, you know, and that's the same for you, Robbie. Like this was important for me. I know we've been talking about doing this podcast for, for forever. And, um, I'm, I, I mean it when I say I'm thankful that you thought of me and, and, and I'm not in a rush um, because I want you to know that it's, that it's important. It's important to me. So yeah. I, I, that's what I want to leave. Well, I think we, we both have Nicole Rodriguez to thank Nicole Rodriguez to thanks because she was the first person. Yeah. To, uh, <laughs> yeah. so I, I, you, I remember when I told you this, the first time we spoke and you laughed so hard. Uh, Nicole was staying in my house one day and she turned to me one day and she goes, Hey Robbie. And I was like, yeah, she goes, if you really want to know about strength, you got to talk to Dennis fucking Logan. That's what she said. She goes, Dennis fucking Logan. And then I said that to you. And, you, and then I remember you just kind of looked into that. You kind of looked at the space and went, Dennis fucking Logan. <laughs> All right. Very, very, this, and I kind of lied. I said there were three questions left and this is actually the fifth one, but this is the final one. Cause it, this is my Scott Livingston uh, question. This is, this is my original one. So Dennis, I'm bringing you for dinner and your beautiful wife is already coming and so is your son. So they don't count. <laughs> But I say to you, uh, D, you can bring five people to this dinner. They can be dead or alive. They can be real people or fixed, fi- fictitious characters. Who would you bring to this dinner and why would you bring them? So dead or alive and they can be real people or they can be fictitious characters. Who would you bring and why? Uh, first one that comes to mind is my brother. Love it. Um, uh, because he makes you laugh. By- through my huh he makes you laugh he one he makes me laugh uh two because you know i had said my brother was um huge in in my development and what what through that what he helped me do is to be fearless in the sense of what we've been talking about like hey man like if this is going to take you here and i wasn't it wasn't his plan you know what i mean like it was his plan was to hopefully make me confident in myself but who knows what how that will manifest itself for me it manifested in if i believe that that the other side of the planet is where i need to go to to find out more about myself i am confident that that will be the right answer and invariably what that has done in my life is that has taken me away from him a whole lot you know Mm. what i mean like Mm. um and so uh what i what i always want to do is that is is find a way to share some of that experience with him you know what i mean like hey man i i'm i'm in ireland my first thought is how are we going to get him here you know what i mean because because i want him to share in that you know what i mean and i'm wherever i am i'm always thinking i just want him to see this you know what i mean i just want him to see it um because by either by design or personality not that he's scared but he's not that way like he's not the type of person that has at least demonstrated in his life, I'll just pick up and go here because this this is interesting. But but he does possess 
the same curiosity and man, I would love to see that. He's not a homebody. You know what I mean? So first person is him because I always want to share with him as much as I can. And particularly because we don't get those opportunities very much. Um, along the same line, my mother, um, my mother is, is, is the type of person that gets up and goes a lot. She's uh, the life of the party, but um, I also love sharing with her. You know what I mean? Like I also love though they're the two people and my stepdad um, that, you know, they, they had such an impact that there's nothing that I want to do where it's like, all right, I'm just doing this. If you guys want, no, it's like, no, you've got to, you've got to be a part of this in some way. Um, so, so those are, those are three. I'll give you six. My mom and my stepdad come as a, as a pair there. Um, uh, my grandfather, and these are all family members now. My grandfather passed away when I was 19. So interestingly enough, he passed away right as I was starting to approach kind of the timeline that I talked about, right? 21, where it's like starting to go on this, on this, you know, trajectory. And um, he always had an incredible belief. He was an incredibly valued and principled person. And he's somebody that this conversation that you and I are having, Robbie, is a conversation that I would have loved to have have had with him yeah. at this point in my life because at 19, I just didn't know yet. You know what I mean? And so like, uh, I, every, every one of these decisions that I've made, I've always wondered what his thoughts would have been and what the conversation would have been like. Hey, I'm thinking about this job. What do you think? You know, I've always wanted to know that. So um, I would love to have been take him to dinner with, with these people. Um, Martin Luther King, that are alive. Martin Luther King is one. Um, again, I think along the fearless, uh, attached to values, uh, again, the consequences and, and understanding, you know, rightly or wrongly, one thing that I've thought, especially kind of, and I'm glad we didn't go there, especially with everything that's going on back in the United States and how polarized it is, I've always wondered how strongly people are attached to their opinions. And the way that I weighed it now is, are you willing to risk your health for what you say? Yeah. And if you're not willing to risk your health for your opinion, you must not believe in it that much. And I don't want to get too righteous about it, but I kind of feel right now, like hopefully the things that I say that I'm passionate about and the things that I say that I believe in, are things that I'm willing to risk my health for. Mm. And there's anyone in our history that embodied that. He's one. Um, and he's, so he's in my five, just so you know. Is he? Mm-hmm. Well, there you go. Right. So, so he's one of those. Cause again, I would, I would love to be at a dinner party with him and, and pick his brain. And then, um, and then lastly, again, not dismissing, our profession because it's a profession that that I've given, like I said to a friend of mine, almost half of my life to, uh, Verkashansky. Really, I, I want to be at I want to be at dinner with him and ask him some questions. I want to bring him to dinner and ask him, you know, what what some of his thoughts are. And he's one of, he's one of many, and he's one that I pick now. If there's another dinner party, I'm gonna pick another one, but I'm gonna bring I'm bringing one of them, and I'm gonna put him in the pot in the pot for now. Great. Dennis, this has been 
Phenomenal. I really, really appreciate you taking the time. I really do. I, I can only imagine the, the demands in your time, particularly in preseason now. And uh, again, you know, your wife and your son and it's, and it's, you know, it's a rare, beautiful day here in Ireland too. So to be <laughs> stuck inside on an electronic device, speaking to this very pale red Irish man, <laughs> I got a bit, I got a bit. How is that? You look like you're getting some sun. Yeah, yeah, I got I got a little bit, little bit much, too much yesterday, and I'm a bit tomatoey looking today, but it'll, 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 it'll tan out, you know, a little bit of afterburn, be okay. Uh, Dennis, just for anyone listening who does want to reach out to you, how would they go about connecting with you if you're, uh, if if you would like people to connect with you? Yeah, you, you know, my um, my personal email address is d laurentis d i l o r e n t i s at hotmail dot com. Um, if you're interested, uh, I more than welcome to send me an email. I'd love to catch up. Um, you know, great stuff. Okay. So listen, I'm going to wrap up here cause I've taken up a lot of this gentleman's time. So again, as I've been saying on a few of the, uh, episodes lately, everyone listening, you were spoiled rotten with all this information. As my mother says, spoiled rotten. Um, but listen, I appreciate everyone who listens to this. I appreciate Dennis for, for again, making the time today. Great conversation you know great connection here resonate with so much you spoke about and just uh, a savage human being as i say so dennis just for me to you again i really appreciate it thank you robbie i appreciate you man all right and for everyone listening take care be well and stay strong all right d that was phenomenal